Welcome to The Inner Athlete. This is episode number eight, and this is a special episode for you guys. A little bit of a detour from my typical training and nutrition tips, and wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about myself and my story and hopefully get to connect with you guys on a little bit of a deeper level and share with you what has actually brought me to be the person I am today at 35 years young, sitting here in my own apartment for the first time, um, living in a place of disbelief that a lot of the dreams that I had for myself are finally coming true. And I apologize if you can hear the people in the background mowing the grass. This is my small studio apartment. There's not a lot of quiet places for me to um, record it. So if you hear that, I apologize. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, and if, if you guys are liking these episodes, if you're liking this episode in particular or anything that you guys want to hear more about, please feel free to reach out to me or you can just also tag me on your Instagram story or on Facebook or wherever. So I guess let's get started with my life growing up. I was your typical American child. I grew up, you know, literally going to school, coming home, playing outside. Um, nutritionally, as you guys know me as I'm a nutrition coach, um, my food was whatever I wanted to eat though. We did not, I did not have to eat vegetables at dinner. Um, meals were pretty much uh, standard American, you know, fried chicken fingers or fried chicken breast and mashed potatoes or Kraft macaroni and cheese and cheeseburgers and hot dogs and, you know, Italian food. So a lot of chicken parm, a lot of ziti, you know, we didn't really um, have any rules in terms of what we were supposed to eat. And we definitely drank a lot of soda. So I didn't grow up really having any real grasp as what it was like to eat a healthy diet. Um, you know, definitely was a little bit I don't want to call myself overweight, but <laughs> so in high school, believe it or not, my nickname was BBC, Big Booty Cheryl. Uh, don't know where that went. <laughs> Actually, I should say I know where that went, but um, I just, I was always a little bit on the thicker side. They used to, you know, that's what they would say is Cheryl's thick. Like I'm not fat, I'm just thick, right? So that's how I grew up. Um, you know, being a soccer player, I definitely had a lot, a lot more muscle in my legs. Um you know, when I didn't, I didn't have any restrictions on food. So I ate until I was full and, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with that. Now I didn't feel great about myself, um, growing up, you know, and this is kind of, it's so hard for me to talk about this stuff because there's so many things I can kind of dive into. I definitely had a ton of insecurities. Um, you know, I didn't feel pretty. Um, you know, I had premature acne when I was a kid, um, which made me feel uncomfortable because, in like fifth, sixth grade, when my my friends still had beautiful skin, I was getting pimples. Um, I had crooked teeth, had to get braces. So that was another insecurity that I had. Um, and believe it or not, I never got picked on about my weight, but I always felt really subconscious in my body. I mean, to the point where I can remember being five years old and counting grapes on a plate. And I can remember going through periods of time at that age when I would tell my mom, mom, I don't want to wear shorts anymore. I don't want to wear pants anymore. I say I only want to wear skirts. And she didn't know why, but it was because, you know, I didn't like the way they felt tight on my thighs and I felt like I didn't look right in them. So I wanted to wear skirts to cover that. Um, so I always had a little bit of body image issues growing up. I can remember being, you know, summertime every year, you know, from, maybe the time I was eight or nine years old, always looking like I want to look really good next year for school. 
And so I would typically try and mimic what I saw the adults around me doing. So, you know, my mom was a little bit overweight. So she spent time doing the Weight Watchers diet. I had an aunt that was doing, you know, low calorie diets and doing running and stuff like that. So I would try and mimic what they were doing. Um, and it never lasted. I can remember being 10 or 11 years old and deciding that I was going to go vegetarian. And I told my mom it was because I was afraid to get poisoned by eating hamburger meat. But in the back of my head, I was actually hoping it would help me lose weight. <laughs> and I will tell you that it didn't because instead of eating meat, I was just eating a bunch of like <laughs> crappy crackers and, you know, whatever carbs. So I just didn't really have any understanding of nutrition. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't really feel comfortable with myself. So, you know, over time, you know, I, I grew up, I, I wasn't an unhappy child. I just never really felt great about the way that I looked. Um, I never really connect, connected. Well, I had friends, never really had any intimate relationships in high school or anything like that. Um, in terms of like boyfriend, girlfriend, um, I felt very unworthy in an essence. And this is super hard for me to talk about. Um, so, and I also had some complications in my family life, you know, my mom's sisters, my aunts, um, there was a lot of fighting, um, a lot of, we don't call it domestic disputes, I guess you would call it. Um, which is also super hard for me to talk about because I did witness a lot of things growing up that, you know, I think that we all have those, those family members in our life that were like, Oh, so-and-so's around. Um, but I did witness a lot of things that I, I probably didn't need to. My mom definitely tried to protect me from them. Um, but I definitely was exposed. So, you know, kind of just a little bit more about, because I don't want to go too far ahead is, you know, I can remember being young and knowing that I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be famous for something. And what's even more funny is I really wanted to be an athlete. I really wanted to be a gymnast or I wanted to be in the Olympics. I wanted to do something really cool. I wanted to be a karate, like I wanted something. But financially, it was just never in the cards. It, you know, we we definitely weren't poor. We were definitely lower middle class though. So there was times where we were scraping pennies. We were, you know, my mom was doing the best she can to keep food on the table. So, you know, my sports were limited to things that were a little bit more affordable. So soccer was my sport of choice and I did it all the way through high school and into some of college. Um, so that's, that's kind of a little bit of, I wanted to prelude that because I feel like it's kind of shaped something that I've become now. So, and I'll kind of talk more about that as we go. Um, so kind of as I graduated from high school, I had every intention of going into veterinary school. So I was going to go to, I was going to UCF and starting off, I was going to be pre-vet, hopefully going to get into the Gainesville for, um, you know, graduate school, going to veterinary school. And somewhere in between that transition from high school into actually going into college, I kind of started to lose my, I guess my mojo. Um, I was distracted at, at 18 years old. I was pretty much done with my AA degree. I had pretty much finished it in high school and I was just getting overwhelmed and bored of what I was doing. And, you know, it was my first summer, um, not in school. And I moved on to Orlando for school and it was my first time away from home. And my grandmother got really sick. So 
this is so hard because there's like so many intertwining stories in this is, you know, going off to college alone was a stressor for me. Um, when I got there, I felt like I said, completely lost. And then finding out that my grandmother was sick was just like three things all at once. Um, at the same time I had a, gotten a job at Universal Studios and I was hanging out with a lot of people that were not in college and met a boy. And so that was another thing in my life. And so I don't really want to bore you guys with all the nitty gritty details of that time in my life. And quite frankly, it's extremely uncomfortable for me to talk about. Um, but I went from being this girl who was the overachiever in high school to being the girl that was just lost, confused, and sad. I put on a bunch of weight, started drinking a bunch. Um, and I was in a very abusive relationship for lack of better terms. Um, feeling both emotionally and physically abused, not really understanding what it felt like to be in a healthy relationship and thinking that that was what it was. And, you know, when my grandmother got sick and I was in that place, I wanted an escape. And so that's about the time that I started to realize that I had gained a bunch of weight because I was obviously not taking care of myself. Um, stopped playing sports, kind of just giving up on everything. I was sleeping till noon, skipping class and, you know, driving home every weekend to see my grandmother. And I said, enough's enough. I woke up one morning and I decided to put in a tape that I had bought a few months ago after watching an infomercial for Slim and Six. And it was in that moment that I said, I am going to prove him wrong and I'm going to take control of my body. And so that's what I did. I stopped talking to him and for lack of better terms, I pushed play on that DVD and I started getting to work and uh, I didn't stop. I just started the momentum. I, every morning I got up and yeah, it was still 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, but I got up and I pushed play and I did the workout and then I started following the meal plan. And then it was about that time that I realized that I needed to come home and I wanted to be with my grandmother and I was lonely and I was failing school anyways. I needed to get into a different school that I was maybe able to be closer to my family. So that's what I did. I moved home and I went to, I finished school at FAU and IRSC and um, I did end up getting my degree, but that's, that's where I finished school. Um, and then that's when things got really messy for me. So as I came home and I'm finally in this positive place, right? I'm finding my place with my fitness and I'm feeling really confident. Um, I got really overwhelmed. Um, I had an aunt and I can remember when this started to happen is I was getting really, I was getting a lot of compliments from my family about how good I was looking and, and what was I doing? And people around me were asking me questions and I went to visit my grandmother in the hospital one day. And this is just like a memory that I have and kind of to, to share with you what had transpired was um, I was wearing just a simple pair of jeans and a spade strap shirt. And I walk in and this aunt is sitting there with my grandmother. 
And I go in and I, I think I brought her like some flowers or something. And I was like, Hey grandma, how are you? And, and the aunt that's sitting in the table or at the, in the chair next to my grandmother says, how dare you walk in wearing what you're wearing? And I was confused because I was 19 years old and I was just wearing a simple spaghetti strap, spaghetti strap, spaghetti strap, tank, strap, tank top. And now mind you back then I did have bigger boobs. So maybe my boobs were like a little bit more pronounced. I don't know. Um, and I looked at her and I was like, what, what do you mean? And she's like, you're dressed like a slut. And I was just like taken back and I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed and looking at my grandmother who's in the bed and looking at her and I started crying and I was there alone and I wanted to leave so badly, but I also wanted to be there for my grandmother. And I am crying right now as I say, I say this to you guys, because that is kind of when I remember starting to feel really bad about myself again. And so this positivity that I finally had after 19 years of feeling insecure that I was finally finding this like happiness with fitness and stuff was all of a sudden being turned into something negative. And I also, um, so kind of like manifesting, you know, just that was like a tangent, but, um, I started to take on a lot more responsibility with my grandmother. Um, also with my home because my mom was also trying to help my grandmother and work a full-time job. So I started helping out with my younger brother who was only in elementary school. And I started to take care of myself less. And I share that episode with you because it wasn't just one episode. That was something that happened many times over the next few months. And things that were said to me were not normal but I told myself that I deserved them. And so between that, you know, watching my grandmother get really sick and believe it or not, the environmental stress of that same summer, um, we had three massive hurricanes come through our, our state and were literally being evacuated, brought back into a town that had no power trying to live out of suitcases, trying to take care of my grandmother who was going through chemotherapy, trying to manage everything. And I just broke and nobody knew I broke, but I full on didn't care about anything, but watching that scale go down. And I wanted to see how little I could eat because I didn't deserve to eat in that time in my life. Everything else was so much more important than me. And all I wanted was to crawl under a rock. And I never ate food until I made sure that my responsibilities were done. And I'm quiet right now because I sit back and I reflect on that time. It brings up a ton of emotion for me because I haven't really talked about it. <laughs> this is my first time and I'm sharing it with you guys. Um, and I remember so desperately wanting somebody to just shake me and help me. I remember talking to my parents, like something's not right. I don't know what it is, but I was scared to tell them what I was feeling. So later that year, and I know that I'm probably skipping over things that happened, but I don't want to, it doesn't need to all be talked about in reality is I think you guys got the bigger picture as I was in a pretty dark place. Um, 
later that year, my grandmother passed away. Um, and things just got worse. You know, I remember the next situation I'll talk about is we we're getting ready to go to her funeral and I go to get into the limo that was going to be driving the family. And I wanted to sit by my grandfather, my mom, and that same aunt that called me a slut when I came to visit my grandmother, then told me I didn't belong in that car and I wasn't part of the family. And another aunt in that vehicle defended her and said, she's just grieving. So then I was like, okay, Cheryl needs to be the tough girl. Cheryl needs to be able to just let this person run all over her. So I did. And then later that, that evening, when my grandfather gave me my grandmother's favorite jacket, and I put it on to wear it, and I was told to take it off. And then told to let her say what she had to say to me. It was extremely difficult. And then coming back to the house where I helped prepare the food for all of the guests and being told I didn't belong there and finally breaking and lunging at this person because mind you, I didn't go into the details, but as a teenager, I had watched her attack my aunts physically. And finally at 19, 20 years old, I had had enough and I wanted nothing more but to destroy her. And however you take that, obviously I'm not crazy. <laughs> Maybe I am crazy. I was done. I couldn't do it anymore. So, and that's my first time really expressing that area of my life. But things didn't get better. In fact, they got worse. Um, I don't remember where my weight is, was around there. It was so long ago, but that was when food was the enemy. Like how little can I eat? How little can I survive on? It was sugar-free jellos. It was a pack of tuna. It was half of a protein bar. It was as little as possible. And along with do not stop moving. You are not allowed to sit down. You do not deserve to rest. So I was busy all freaking day and not just busy sitting at my desk. No, like cleaning the garage and, and just distraction after distraction from the thoughts in my head. And I so badly wanted help so badly that I want help. And I just didn't know what exactly needed help with. I didn't understand what was going on with me. Looking back, it was obviously anorexia. It was obviously combination of exercise bulimia because I was just moving myself, not throwing up, but I was just moving to just get rid of calories. And, and that's when my family, you know, it, it started to kind of get torn apart, my immediate family, because they started to see what was going on with me. They knew I wasn't healthy. I was getting severe, severe edema in my, in my legs. I would show my dad, dad, my legs are swollen. And I was like holding water and 
Um, what transpired over that next five years was this battle with myself trying to recover from what I'd finally recognized as an eating disorder. And I went through periods of time where I could start to eat, but I was not really in an environment that was conducive to express healthy eating because at that same time, my parents were also going through their own struggles. My, they were opening a business and at the same time it ended up closing, um, due to some financial stressors, but their eating habits have never been normal. You know, they've, they're the kind of, you know, the, the typical American, you know, family where like they might eat like one big meal a day, you know, or, or they just didn't eat a lot. And, and so it was so confusing to me who was trying to learn how to eat normally. And I'm watching them not do those things. And so, and I was also trying to eat healthy and their lifestyles were not in line with mine. So I, I was trying to find out like what happened, like, where did I go wrong? Like, where can I find where I was when I was healthy and eating the right foods and the right amounts of them to where I was now, which was not understanding that. And it was so confusing to me. And I went through periods where I was just so hungry that I would literally binge on food. I would sit down with a box of cereal and eat the entire box. I would have a loaf of bread and peanut butter and just eat the whole loaf. And I just, I was so hungry and so confused and I felt so alone. I just didn't know what to do. So my anorexia flipped into this, like, I've got to be in recovery. I've got to put weight on. I've got to, and I just was so confused. And then it ended up manifesting into more exercise and and then it was just this, this constant battle with myself between under eating and eating too much and trying to balance it out at the same time, you know, to kind of share with you a little bit more, I was really good at hiding all of this. So all of these battles I was experiencing aside from my mom and dad and my immediate family, nobody else really knew about them. And I was literally living the life of a gold gym, gym rat. I was dancing in front of a mirror in a group fitness class, personal training, front desk girl, picture perfect example of what it looks like to have an amazing body and workout and be healthy. And, and I would get compliments and compliments and compliments. And nobody knew all the stuff going on behind the scenes. So my weight did yo-yo a little bit. I had dropped down to, at that time, before all this, maybe 95 pounds at five foot four. Had spiraled back up to about 135, 140, pushing maybe 150 at some time. But then it kind of dropped again. I started to get uncomfortable with my skin again. I started to watch it drop again. And... Before I knew it, the weight was not just 95 pounds. Now it was 90. Then it was 89, 85. Until one day I get up on, I get done coaching 
my group fitness step class. I think I was coaching. Um, and my boss at the time comes over to me and she says, Hey, Cheryl, what do you have going on today? And I told her, like I said, at that time, I was trying to help out with everything in the house. So I was going to go pick up my brother. I was going to clean the house, cook dinner for everybody, which I wasn't going to eat. Um, and all of these things. And she goes, you know what? I think we should probably go to the doctor. So I said, well, I don't have an appointment. She goes, well, we're going to go to the hospital. And I said, why? And she goes, because I don't think you're well. And I don't remember all of the conversation, but I remember getting in her car and for the first time in six years, feeling like I was finally going to be doing something that was going to change my life again. And I was finally going to be committing to something that was not going to let me go backwards. And that I was finally going to be able to get the help that I needed. I had been looking at treatment centers for years. I had called, I had done intakes, never committed, couldn't make myself do it. And so that day I went into the local hospital. They checked my heart rate, checked my blood sugar, told me, Cheryl, your blood sugar is extremely low. Your heart rate is extremely low. We need you to drink this orange juice to bring your blood sugar up. I refused. It's processed. I'm not drinking it. Give me an orange instead. They didn't have any oranges, so I didn't drink the juice and I didn't take the orange. They recognized that I had a problem. Um, looking at my heart rate, they admitted me. And I remember thinking I was going to be there for a few hours till they said, you know what, we're going to keep you overnight. And I said, okay. <laughs> for the first time in my life, I was scared for my life. That night, my heart rate dropped in the low twenties. And I said, Cheryl, if we don't do something, you might have to get a pacemaker put in. So we're talking to a cardiologist in Palm beach where we might transfer you to, because we're a little bit worried about the state of your heart. And I was like, what are you talking about? Just yesterday morning, I was dancing around in front of a mirror, literally doing working out from probably three to four hours a day to now laying in a hospital bed. And I was scared. I had no idea what to do, but I also felt this sense of peace that for once in my life, it was out of my hands. And that for the past five, six years, I had wanted somebody to take it out of my hands because I couldn't do it. And somebody finally had. And so I didn't know what the prognosis was going to be. I, I didn't know what was happening after I got out of there, but I knew that I wasn't going home until I was better. And my mom told me that my parents came in every day. They cried. They brought me food because I would eat the hospital food. Um, it was the first time I had been stationary in six years, like laying in a hospital bed, no energy. My weight kept dropping because if you guys understand metabolism at all, my metabolism was just going, 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 and I wasn't eating enough. And so I literally dropped down to, I believe, 81 pounds right before I went into treatment. Um, so I stayed at the hospital for that week. And then that Friday, my mom said, you are going to Renfrew on Monday morning. So we had the weekend to get your stuff packed up, 
and we're sending you there. So that's what I did. I went home, packed up some stuff, and was in a residential treatment facility for the next four months. And then from that four months, I went into an intensive outpatient program and a day treatment program to continue my recovery. So that's a huge chapter of my life. And as I said, I've been trying to debate on if I want to keep going. So I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm going to keep this podcast rolling. You can press stop now or you can keep listening. Either way, I want you to listen to the rest of my story because it's not over yet. The next year of my life would bring another challenge because as somebody who likes to be in full control, I was no longer in control. And so treatment was a whole new battle. The day that I went in there, I felt like I was in jail. They stripped me of my clothes. I wasn't allowed any razors, no phone, no facial products, no nothing. All of my medications were handed over to a nurse in a desk or in a little, whatever you want to call it, cubicle. Um, Literally all of my freedom stripped from me. I couldn't pick my food. I was forced to eat what they fed me. I, and if I didn't eat it, I had to take shakes. Um, so going into what it looks like to be in treatment, because I think that this is something to talk about. If you struggle with an eating disorder and you're not paying attention right now, you should pay attention because I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be the motivation you need to stand up for yourself because I wouldn't wish being in a treatment center on anybody. I'm very grateful for every person that I connected with there, every girl I connected with with there that I still keep in contact with, and every nurse, therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, every person on my team that helped me. But I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Because being taken away from your life, put it into a bubble, and then being thrown back into it is not easy. So what does a day in treatment look like? Because I'm not going to go through the whole time. You wake up, I think it was 6.30 or so, 7 o'clock, you had weights and vitals. You'd go downstairs in your hospital gown. They would weigh you. If you were on blind weights, you could not see your weight. If you were able to see your weight, then you could see it. Um, depending on what your weight was and what your goal was, if it was weight restoration, if you were down a pound or not gaining, then they would make you take a shake. If not, you'd be okay. From there, you do a, uh, I forget what it's called, but they test your blood pressure um, standing up and sitting down, and they're checking for like a big change in that to check your electrolyte balance. And if it's off, then they make you drink Gatorade. If not, you're good. Um, From there, you go down and get your medications, which, mind you, you're being treated by a therapist, a psychiatrist, everything. So whatever they tell you that you need, you're taking. Um, And literally, when I tell you, I think that they were you know, setting us up for, (laughs) not setting us up for, I just think that they were convinced that none of us could poop because I was on every form of like stool softening fiber, you know, mirror, like everything you could think of to get my digestion system regular without me actually doing it. So it's, it was not fun. (laughs) Um, we get our medications, we'd go downstairs, we'd get dressed again. 
or get dressed for the day. Then we'd go to breakfast. We had to have 30 minutes for breakfast. I guess, as I said, you had options. The first option was trays where they just bring you your food. The second option was the week before you would get a menu and you could choose what you wanted to put on your tray. The third option was you had intuitive eating where you could actually go through a line and pick your food out of what they had out. So in the beginning, it was trays for me. Um, and it was not, you know, typically food that you would, if you were in the health and fitness world, that you would feed yourself. So a lot of times it was like frosted mini wheats and vanilla yogurt and peanut butter and a banana is like a typical breakfast. They went on exchanges, exchanges there. So it was, um, you had to have so many starches, so many fats, so many proteins and so many veggies. Huh. Sounds kind of like, um, like, you know, protein, carbs, and fats and macros, right? Uh, only a little bit different in that you had to have all of these components at one meal. And they also looked at things like dairy, veggies, fruits separately outside of just your typical protein, carbs, and fats. So um, that was kind of your meal. You had to sit at the table. Um, they literally watched everything you were doing at the table. So if you were cutting your food a certain way, if you were putting peanut butter in your oatmeal, that was a no-no because peanut butter is a spread. It's not a sauce. It like every little thing you could think of, they would try and tell you that it was a food related ritual and you weren't allowed to do it. It was so stressful. Um, because I didn't have problems like that. I wasn't in this like ritualistic place, but a lot of girls do have that. They cut their food up really small. I was the opposite. When I ate, I was hungry and eating was a problem for me. So I would eat as fast as I could and be done. Um, so I had to slow down my eating because I felt really embarrassed that I would be the first one done all the time. And then after breakfast, we would go into after meal where we would process our meal in quotations. We'd talk about our meal, how it made us feel. Um, and then the day starts literally from morning to night. It was therapy. It was processing feelings, meeting with our therapist, meeting with our psychiatrist, going through art therapy, different ways to express ourselves and what we were feeling. So it was literally nothing but self-work. And in the beginning, it was super uncomfortable. I felt extremely stressed out by it. But as I got into it, it actually became a, a sense of peace. And I felt like I was finally like relaxed enough to actually expose myself to all of these feelings that I've been feeling and overcoming all of these things that I'd felt for so long. Um, and so, you know, our typical day would end probably around seven after dinner. We would have an after meal. Um, and then we would go and we'd have time for ourselves. We could not use the phone outside of phone hours. We had to have a certain amount of phone. We, we were limited to a certain amount of phone time. Um, you know, we couldn't just freely walk around the building. In fact, I couldn't even freely stand up. They would, you know, tell me to sit down if I was standing too much. So it was a process in itself and it was super uncomfortable. Um, you know, as an adult, and as somebody who values fitness and health, I don't think that, I think that there's a lot of flaws in the treatment centers and how they do treat nutrition. Um, but I think I understand why it's that way because they're trying to overcome food fears and such, not necessarily looking at it from the health perspective. Um, so I do think that that's something that looking back at it, I, I wish that I, I had more control over um, because sometimes they would do things like, oh, we have to drink this soda and see how it makes us feel. Okay, like, I get it. I should be able to drink a soda and not feel like it's going to make me fat. But in essence, I didn't think that. I just would rather not drink my calories from a soda because it's empty calories, right? They looked at that like it was a eating disorder-related thought, whereas I look at it like that's a 
true statement. It's a fact. So, you know, just like a little bit of a tangent on treatment. I don't, I don't want to get too far into the treatment stuff, but I just want you to understand that, you know, it was a tough time. And then the hardest part I think was coming out of treatment is you are back into your life. And that's why I don't know that it's what I would recommend for anybody that is on the teeter of it. I would try and say, stay in your life as much as you can, because I felt so overwhelmed when I got out of treatment. Now, I know it's hard not to bounce around because there's so many pieces to my story, but I came from being a gym rat, being a gold gym girl, like very bodybuilding focused, group fitness, yada, 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 going into treatment, being told I can't exercise at all to coming out freedom, recovered for the most part, um, and trying to find my way again. Because if you can remember back to me starting and pushing play in that video, that brought me so much happiness. And now I was told you shouldn't do that anymore. They told me I should not work out, that I should try and find a different outlet, whether it's yoga, whether it's walking, you know, stretching, lower stuff. And, and guys, I'm going to tell you right now, from the time I was a kid to the age I am now, I'm an intense person. I don't do gentle shit. <laughs> That's why I love CrossFit. And I'm going to get into that next, but I don't know how to just take it easy. I know how to moderate my intensity by how I feel, but I'm still pushing as hard as I can in that moment. And so for them to tell me like nothing, I was confused. So as I left treatment, I'm going to take a sip of my coffee, guys. I'm sorry. As I left treatment and I go back into the real world, I went back to my roots, got a job as a vet tech, which was my original plan for school before I twitched, twitched to the degree of exercise science um, and was trying to figure out what it's going to be for fitness. So I started running in the mornings before, before work, which was early. Um, and I just kind of was lost. Like I couldn't keep it. I couldn't keep it easy. My runs that were like just a gentle 20 minute run between a, became a 30 minute run, became a 40 minute run, become how far could I get in an hour? And slowly I was watching my obsessions grow. Um, I was also still extremely, I was still practicing some eating disordered behaviors because now, you know, what treatment had taught me was I had to have all these components at my meals. And whereas I was feeding my body, I was still stuck in this rut of like every meal has to have protein, carbs, veggie, fruit, starches, you know, or, uh, dairy fats. And where am I getting all these things from? And, and I was still in this like ritualistic routine of like having to have all these components. And, and I was almost like obsessed with my recovery. <laughs> so I, I was doing the running thing. My brother was actually involved in a local, um, mixed martial arts studio. If you guys are familiar, uh, familiar with American top team, um, Din Thomas. Um, that's kind of where I kind of, I kind of got interested in maybe doing something like that. Cause like I said, as a kid, I was invited in, interested in karate and stuff. I was like, well, you know what? Like maybe I'll get into that. So I actually went into their gym with my brother one day and I decided to start trying it out. Started with some grappling, um, some stand up boxing, stuff like that. And, and just down the, the block, I guess you can call it in the same plaza was a CrossFit gym. And, you know, I think my dad and I, had talked a little bit about, you know, how I like to work out and I really wanted to get back into it. And I was just so confused. And 
I think he had went and talked to Fortune, who was the owner of that gym. And yes, that's her name, her real name. And he's like, hey, you should go talk to her down there. You might actually really like that. And I was like, what is it? He's like, it's CrossFit. I was like, well, what's CrossFit? And so I went online, I typed in CrossFit, and I pull up CrossFit.com. And I remember the workout I saw was front squat, one, 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 one. It's like, that's the workout? One front squat? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I was so confused. I mean, that's all they're going to do. Um, like, oh, that's not really for me. I'm just going to stick with what I'm doing. So it took me like a couple of weeks to actually buy into going down there and checking it out. And it was actually when I saw them outside, like flipping tires and they were like all barefoot and just like doing weird things. I was like, what the hell is going on down there? So I go walk down and they offered like a free week trial. So I tried a class. First workout I did was fight gone bad. I remember that very clearly. They always put their fighters through it, you know? So, and I was considered a fighter cause I was down at the martial arts studio and, um, I freaking loved it. I was hooked, hooked, like beyond hooked. Um, so I started going every day after work and that year within, actually within a couple of weeks, they're like, Cheryl, you're very fit. We could train you for the CrossFit games. And mind you back then the CrossFit games were very different. This was like 2010 when I started. So Literally, it was signing up and doing the CrossFit Games. And if you made it past the first qualifiers, then you went to the the regionals. And so you went to sectionals and you went to regionals. I was like, cool. So now I was finally in this sport. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm an athlete. Now, thinking back to when I was 9, 10, 11 years old, and I told you that I wanted to be in some kind of a sport, I finally found this thing that I've been looking for my whole life. And I'm like this is freaking awesome. Like I'm an athlete for the first time in my life. I'm training with a purpose. And, and so I eventually nixed the ATT went full in on CrossFit that year. I got my level one certification, decided to start coaching. And that year I also competed in my very first CrossFit competition, which was the Florida sectionals. And this was before there was, you know, the, the whole open into regionals. It was literally you pay $50, you sign up and you get on track or you get on, sorry, you get on track. You, you go into the competition. If you're top three, then you go on to regionals. And this was actually the first year I met like Rich Froning. So he was in my region at that time. Cause it was a little bit different. Um, so let me kind of talk to you guys a little bit about that first experience. This is what really helped me a ton. Now, I was in a pretty good place coming out of treatment. I was still very underweight for my height. Um, I needed to put on some muscle bad, but I was still very scared of weight gain. And I don't think that I ever would have gained weight had it not have been from CrossFit because I was so afraid of letting go of control. And then, so when I started training for that competition and I decided to go into um, the competition, I knew that I was going to be having to work on getting stronger and things like that. I was trying, but when I actually went to the competition and I saw how short I was falling on only a few things, I was like, oh my God, I've got to get stronger. And even more so when I looked around me and I saw all the women and how fit they were and how strong they were and they weren't small, they were actually really like, they were built, but not, not like, not like a bulky built. Like they were like, they looked good. They looked lean. They had muscle. Like 
I wanted that. I was so inspired. And I remember I was like, that's it, Cheryl, you're fucking doing this. Like you can be one of these people. And I was given that glimpse because I was actually doing really well on the workouts that were meant for somebody like me. I was a great engine. I played soccer my whole life. I was not strong. I had no coordination. So like kipping pull-ups, I was not strong enough for, like didn't have the coordination for all of these things. So I went all in. I went all in on CrossFit that year and I became an athlete. For the first time in my life, I became the athlete that I wanted to be. I'm going to end this podcast here because I feel like I could keep going, but I'm already almost an hour in. And that's only, I'm going to call this part one of a three-part series. So that's my segue into CrossFit. What you have to look forward to in the next podcast is watching this girl who was 81 pounds make it to the CrossFit Games. Not just once, multiple times. Watching this girl who didn't believe in herself become something that she never thought she could be. Thanks, guys, for listening. If you guys like this podcast, if you want to hear more, please subscribe. And also tag me on Instagram in your stories.